really, really nice to be with you. I should say at the very, very start, I hope you appreciate that Gilly and I totally coordinated on dress code tonight, got the gingham on. Um, I am not going to say much more before we watch a video, so the guys at the back probably want to knock the sound on. There we go. Did you know the average person spends four years of his life looking down at his cell phone? Kinda ironic, ain't it? How these touch screens can make us lose touch. But it's no wonder in a world filled with iMacs, iPads, and iPhones, so many eyes, so many selfies, not enough us's and we's. See, technology has made us more selfish and separate than ever. Cause while it claims to connect us, connection has gotten no better. And let me express first, Mr. Zuckerberg, not to be rude, but you should reclassify Facebook to what it is, an anti-social network. Cause while we may have big friend lists, so many of us are friendless all alone. Cause friendships are more broken than the screens on our very phones. We sit at home on our computers measuring self-worth by numbers of followers and likes. Ignoring those who actually love us, it seems we'd rather write an angry post and talk to someone who might actually hug us. Am I bugging? You tell me, cause I asked a friend the other day, let's meet up face to face. They said, all right, what time you wanna Skype? I responded with OMG, SRS, and then a bunch of SMHs and realized, what about me? Do I not have the patience to have conversation without abbreviation? This is the generation of media overstimulation. Chats have been reduced to snaps. The news is 140 characters. Videos are six seconds at high speed. And you wonder why ADD is on the rise faster than 4G LTE, but Get a load of this. Studies show the attention span of the average adult today is one second lower than that of a goldfish. So if you're one of the few people or aquatic animals that have yet to click off or close this video, congratulations. Let me finish by saying you do have a choice. Yes, but this one, my friends, we cannot autocorrect. We must do it ourselves. Take control or be controlled. Make a decision, me. No longer do I want to spoil a precious moment by recording it with a phone. I'm just going to keep them. I don't want to take a picture of all my meals anymore. I'm just going to eat them. I don't want the new app, the new software, or the new update. And if I want to post an old photo, who says I have to wait until Thursday? I'm so tired of performing in the pageantry of vanity and conforming to this accepted form of digital insanity. Call me crazy, but... I imagine a world where we smile when we have low batteries because that'll mean we'll be one bar closer to humanity. have been called the connected generation. People of our age are the first uh, group to have grown up with the internet. We are the first in the world uh, to have grown up where every house had a computer. 
And now we're in a world where every person has a smartphone, every person has a computer in their pocket, and probably a laptop of their own, and maybe even a tablet as well, and maybe even, if you're really class, a wee computer on your wrist too. All of those devices can connect to each other all the time, and so we can too. Facebook is one of the most valuable companies in the world. Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, WhatsApp, all services which make money by connecting us together. So we are the connected generation. Or are we? That's the question we want to think about tonight as we look at Galatians 5 and 6. Because here the Bible is telling us that Christians are supposed to be connected. That there's no such thing as a freelance Christian. And that as Christians, we're supposed to be deeply and honestly and spiritually and relationally connected to each other. This uh, little chunk of the Bible that we're looking at comes right after the bit that you've been dealing with for the past few weeks on the fruit of the Spirit. Paul has just laid out all these character traits. He's laid out, first of all, uh, what our natural flesh produces. I don't think you dwell too long on that, but it was all the bad stuff, sexual sins, uh, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, drunkenness, and envy. And then he goes on to explain the kind of flip side. He says the fruit of the Spirit, the, the words that should more and more describe a person who's genuinely a Christian, are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then straight after, as you can see there, Paul starts talking about community. And what he's doing is connecting the two things together. He's saying that the practical application for all that great stuff, which is the fruit of the Spirit, isn't just for us as individuals. It's for us together. It's for us connected. It's for us as friends, as CE, let's not forget, as church as well. It's for us connected by God himself in community with each other. You see, God doesn't want you to be alone in conflict with people and vulnerable. God wants us to be, to, to be connected, to be united, and to be strengthened. Strengthened to live the radical life that Jesus is calling us to. And so tonight, in kind of seven verses, five little chunks, we're going to think about being connected. First of all, verses 25 and 26 of chapter 5. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Paul starts off here by telling us what's true for all Christians. We live by the Spirit. That means if you tonight are actually a follower of Jesus, then you are alive in a supernatural way, in a new way, because the Holy Spirit, God himself, is in you. You might not realize it, 
but it's true. And that's it. It's just true. You don't have to do any extras. You don't have to learn a secret handshake. You don't have to come up to the front and get anointed by our brother Gilly here. You don't have to go down to the van and dip yourself in it seven times. I'm sure you're very happy about that. There's no extras to do. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, God himself, in you. So that's the first bit. Since we live by the Spirit, that's the, that's the passive bit, we could say. It just is. You don't have to do anything. And it's good, it's great that you can rest in the fact that that's true. But we're not off the hook because Paul also says we have to keep in step with the Spirit. And that is the active bit. That's where we have to do something. That, that phrase actually means something like drawn up in line or walking in the footsteps of. And because of that, it makes me think of this. Now, for some of you, that wee logo there reminds you of some of the happiest evenings of your life. But for me, and I, I don't want to put words in Scott McManamy's mouth, but I think that for him as well, uh, genuinely, right, it, it, it would be a viable description of hell <laughs> to tell me that after I die, I will spend eternity in just an endless Thursday night of Boys Brigade. It, that, that is how, how bad my experience of BB was. Actually, at the time, Scott and I both thought that each other loved it and that we were like really in there with the lads. Actually, we were both hating it. Um, so yes, BB. In between uh, learning how to polish shoes and spending endless hours playing Simon Says, I have no idea why, we had to do marching. And so in this very hall, I have traipsed up and down, doing all these daft kind of figure of eight loops and diamond formations. And one time at a display, I remember, we did this really class thing where they got us all to wear white gloves and they turned off all the normal lights and they brought in these UV lights and it was class, it was really trippy. It was like the closest thing that Presbyterians ever got to an illegal rave. Um, <laughs> but the whole point of marching was to stay in sync with the leader. If you fell out of step, first of all, you looked like a plonker. And secondly, you screwed it up for everyone else. And in much the same way, God is leading us by the Holy Spirit. And yet I wonder how many of us are actually following. God's leading, but how many of us are trying to follow? I know myself that it's really easy to just drift out of the habit of following God. But we all need a regular time where we're more aware of the presence of God at the end than at the start. We need on a regular basis, not just uh, twice on a Sunday, to seek God and be reminded of how good the good news is. We need to regularly come to God, take our sins to the cross, and live then in the freedom that he wants to give us. When we do that, when that's a regular thing for us, our thoughts change, our attitudes change, because God is growing the fruit of the Spirit in us. That's how we follow him. That's how we keep in step with the Spirit.
And when we do that, God will transform our relationships as well. And we see one of the ways that he'll do that in verse 26. It says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Something kind of interesting to notice here is the way that in Paul's head, things shift from the individual into community, from you by yourself to you with other people. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And so what Paul's saying is that what's in our hearts will play itself out in our relationships. The way we think of ourselves will affect how we treat others. And he says then, let us not become conceited. That word conceit means empty of honor. It means a a deep insecurity, a real sense of being lacking in something. And I don't know about you, but I think when you've got an emptiness, you always try to fill it. Do you ever find yourself needing to, to prove your worth, to prove your value, your capabilities to yourself and to others? That always brings mess into our relationships with each other. And Paul explains how that happens in two ways. First of all, we provoke each other. Two different ways. The first happens when you feel empty of honor, when you have that feeling uh, of insecurity, there's something lacking in you. And to fill that emptiness, what you do is you puff yourself up with pride. You think you're better than other people. But you're not content with just thinking it, are you? You have to go out and you have to prove it. And so you provoke people, you give them a wee poke, you get competitive. A wee sly dig here, putting somebody down so that you can feel a bit better. And ultimately that might keep going and turn into bullying. But all the while you're provoking the person so that you can feel a wee bit better about yourself, so that you can tell yourself that you're better by comparison. And ultimately so that you can fill that hole in yourself and numb that insecurity. That's provoking. Secondly, we envy each other. This comes from kind of the flip side, the opposite attitude. You're empty of real honor, but you're not even trying to pretend to yourself. You, you feel beneath other people. You feel like you're not worth very much. You see all these people around you, and you can't stop comparing yourself with them. And when you do that, you always come up as the lesser one. And so you start to envy. You start to be jealous of those people and what they have. You get bitter. You get resentful. And you definitely can't be happy whenever something good happens to somebody else. The reality is you might even be a very quiet person who in everybody's eyes wouldn't say boo to a goose. But on the outside, you might not look like this person. But inside, your heart is full of envy, full of jealousy because of your comparison. Now, if you're anything like me, um, you're those two people, depending on what day of the week it is and who you're with and where you are. 
But hopefully you can see Paul's deeper point here. Both uh, a superiority complex and an inferiority complex come from the same broken heart. They come from the same brokenness in us. They're both self-absorbed and inward looking. They're both conceited. Both from insecurity and inferiority. And for us tonight, what we want to realize is that both of those attitudes are hugely toxic to the close and loving and selfless connected community that Jesus wants to call us into. It's like taking a pile of nuclear waste and dumping it in the middle of the community. The situation is bad, but the good news is that they're both sorted out by the good news of the gospel of Jesus. You see, the gospel gives us a, a new way of dealing with that inner emptiness. It heals our broken relationships because the gospel, Jesus' good news, humbles us before other people because we know that we're sinners just like them. And yet at the same time, it gives us real confidence, lasting confidence, because we know that we are loved in the eyes of the only person who matters in the entire universe. We're loved by God himself. And so when we feel superior or we feel inferior, instead of taking that out on other people in selfishness, we can root our sense of worth in who we are because of what Jesus has done. I don't know how many of you were at the final night of SU in Portadown College. I was speaking there and I was sharing a wee bit about identity that's either achieved or received. What I was saying was that we were made to receive our identity. God made us to get our sense of worth and who we are from him. But our world has corrupted us. Sin has corrupted us. And so we try to achieve our identity. We try to go out and achieve the things that make us who we are. When we do that, it leads to grief, it leads to hurt, it leads to bitterness. The good news of Jesus is that we can have our identity from him. Rather than feeling inferior or superior to others, we can rest in the truth of our identity in Jesus. Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Because in God's community, emptiness is filled. What else can we learn about being connected? Paul says this, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. What does Paul mean here? Firstly, he says that we're brothers and sisters. So this connected community of the church is a family. I wonder, is that new to you? Have you ever thought about the church as family? You might be surprised to learn then that actually that's the, the majority of the way that the Bible talks about church. It's family. It's not a stiff organization. It's not a club for people who kind of want to do a wee bit of self-improvement. It's a family of broken and messy people 
who desperately need Jesus and desperately need each other. I uh, went online, as Jeremy Clarkson would say, and I found some awkward family photos. I don't know if you've ever gone into uh, that weird shop in Belfast, the name of which escapes me, um, but they have an entire book of these awkward family photos. Um, here is one such. Uh, Mother Bear, I think, got a bit of fabric and decided to make some gear for her and all the kids. Uh, don't know what <laughs> is going on there. Definitely a strange one. Herders unreal, though, aren't they? Strad. Actually, the dog and the girl are very similar looking. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> it's like always on my mind, taken to a new level. Um, and this guy uh, you know, did not get the no double denim memo at all. <laughs> Family. Families are weird. Families are awkward. But church works best when we realize that we're connected together in a family. And when we act in it like brothers and sisters, when we stay committed to those family members, like we can't escape them. Like any family in the church, there are some weird uncles and there are some annoying brothers and sisters. But that's all a big part of what makes it what it is because it's family. You didn't choose these people, but you're connected to them and there's no escape. So how do we solve problems like family? Paul says, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. And do you see that same thing again, where what we're like in ourselves is connected to how we get on with people? We need to watch ourselves, Paul says, and make sure we're keeping in step with the Spirit. Make sure that we're not given into temptation and constantly walking in sin. But then, as people who are walking with God, we can be used by God to help others walk with God and free themselves from sin. And so, you know, this, this connected community is by no means kind of namby-pamby. It's not kind of weird Christian fellowship with out-of-date biscuits and weak tea. Um, Jesus, rather, is calling us to get stuck into each other's mess, to be connected in a real way. By no means is this nicey-nicey. Now, if you haven't got over your insecurity from part one, then you're going to be inclined when you see somebody else sinning in the family, either to judge them or be jealous of them because you think they're having a better time than you are. But if the Spirit of God is changing your heart, then you'll know that you have a job to do and you'll be equipped to restore that person gently. And your gentleness will come from the fact that you know you're a sinner just like them. That word for restore is a medical word. It's kind of the same as resetting a bone that's been dislocated out of joint. And so 
can you see the kind of the image that Paul's painting there? A part of the body has become dislocated, out of place. And we're called in the family as brothers and sisters to come and to gently put it back into place. I'm sure Gilly knows no matter how gentle you are in that procedure, sometimes there can be some wailing, some crying. But our responsibility as a brother, as a sister, is to come to that individual and do our very best to lovingly, gently restore them. And so you have that difficult conversation with your friend who you know is struggling. And you try to help them to understand and to deal with their sin. You be brave in challenging sinful behavior, but you be careful to do it with love and gentleness. And rather than to try and get one up on the other person. Can you see how all that stuff from the first bit becomes really relevant here? All in all, in Jesus-connected community, there's neither fearful inaction or judgmental condemnation, but rather there's gospel-empowered action towards transformation. Do you get that? There's neither fearful inaction nor judgmental condemnation. In the family of God, in the connected community of God's people, there's gospel-empowered action towards people being transformed. Christians shouldn't be quick to criticize, but they shouldn't be afraid to confront. And also, we shouldn't be afraid to be confronted. In God's community, brokenness is healed. A wee bit more quickly. Verse 2, Galatians 6, 2. Paul says, carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. First of all, let's not miss the fact that Paul just assumes that we all have burdens. He doesn't say if, maybe. He's sure. He knows people. And he knows that every one of us is broken in some way. If we're trying to pretend that everything is good all the time and that we're shiny, happy people and super trendy hipster Christians and that life's just a breeze and we're too blessed to be stressed or whatever way you want to put it, Paul says, come on, get real. Get real. You know, actually, if you genuinely believe that you don't have any struggles or burdens, then your problem is that you're so deep in your sin and so far from the real gospel that you're not even able to see your true brokenness and the need for God that you definitely have. I know that from personal experience. I did my time pretending to be Mr. Headboy, SU leader, good results, no problems, Richard. But not a bit of that was real. Not a bit at all. We are all struggling with sin, with shame, with regrets, with fear or insecurity, with disappointment, with depression, maybe with anxiety, maybe with secrets. 
We all have burdens. Think about it this way. Life is kind of like climbing a mountain. And we've got all our gear, all this stuff that weighs us down. And sometimes along the way, the journey is hard. And the burdens become just too much for us to carry. And so we need someone to give us a hand. We need somebody else, a brother or sister, who's on the same journey, climbing the same mountain of life, to take a burden off us for a while, to give us a helping hand, to carry the weight a wee bit of the way with us. And yet often I think in the church, in our community, in CE, with our friends, even with our Christian friends, we're really, really bad at this whole thing of sharing burdens. And it seems to me that we deal with this badly in kind of two ways. Some of us just try to bottle it all up or hide it away. Some of us think that it's more spiritual to play the game, to pretend that we don't struggle. We think that if we show our weakness, it must mean that we're less holy. But the Bible says, Gilly even read it out, we started tonight, in our weakness, we're strong. So let's not be afraid to be honest. On the other hand, some of us make it, I think, a wee bit more spiritual. And we tell ourselves that we only need Jesus. He is the one who bears our burdens. And aren't we told to cast all our burdens on him? So, you know, I've prayed about it and that'll do me. That one is really deceptive because it kind of seems true. But we're forgetting that this passage and other bits of Scripture clearly tell us that in God's connected community, He uses other people to help us. He uses other people to help us. Jesus bears our burdens through other people, through our mates, through our friends, through the people we're connected to in church. Sometimes it is definitely good to just have the crack, to just have the banter. But God is calling us, if we're Christians, to be real with each other. So can I encourage you to have real conversations with each other? Can I encourage you tonight, afterwards? Can I even challenge you? Every person here who says they're a believer, who says they follow Jesus... Will you go to a friend? Will you share a burden with them and ask what burden you can help them carry? And then will you be in the habit afterwards of not being afraid to kind of drop the, the death charge in the conversation? Everybody's just bantering away and you come in with the heavy stuff. Don't be afraid to do that. I say again and again, embrace the awkward, you know? We are weird people. We are Christians. We do all this strange stuff. Let's just embrace the awkward. In a world that increasingly doesn't believe in God at all, we do. We believe a guy came here who was God. He died. He rose again. So we should expect to be kind of strange people. Let's embrace the awkward in following that God. Let's have real conversations. And remember that that isn't just a challenge from me. This is a direct command. You can see it there on the screen. It's from Scripture. It's how we are supposed to fulfill Christ's calling on us 
if we're Christians. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. You want to fulfill the law of Christ? Carry each other's burdens. Maybe before tonight, you wouldn't have expected to find that there. But it's a command. Because in God's connected community, we bear our burdens and we bear others' burdens. We're honest about our burdens and we help others carry them. Shifting on, three and four. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions and then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Here, Paul's getting at the real reason why some people don't share their burdens and won't get close enough to others to help them out as well. But if we don't, or if we won't, the implication here is that we think we're above it. We're going back to that old self-loving, insecurity-fueled conceit. Once again, the issue is making comparisons with other people. If you think you're something that you're not, then you'll be too self-focused and too self-important to serve your brother or sister. You'll not be able to be honest about your brokenness and and so share your burden because you might not even be aware of it yourself. And so you'll not understand your own sinfulness enough to be gentle in helping others to confront theirs. Paul is challenging us to look into our hearts and question whether the reason we're not connected with others in a deep way, in the way that we should be, is because we've been telling ourselves that we don't need those challenging relationships. And so ultimately because we're deceiving ourselves. So do you often, let's do the test, do you often have real conversations where you're honest about where you are in your heart? Do you? Do you chat with your friends? Do you open up about what God's been doing in your life? Is that normal or is it not? And if not, are you deceived into thinking that you don't need that? That that's not the way of life that God calls us to? So let's test ourselves, not by comparison to other people, but just in ourselves. Do you know that you still have burdens that you need help with? Then there's good news. Jesus doesn't call us to compare ourselves to anyone except him. We test ourselves in ourselves against him. And when we do that, we do see, first of all, the brutal, ugly reality of who we are. Not physically, but in our sin. We see our brokenness. But as we compare ourselves to Jesus, we also see the kind, loving face of the great doctor who wants to come to us and restore our brokenness. So we're not left without hope because we know he has given us his perfection at the cross. The only comparison that we are called to make 
breaks us, but then remakes us. Let's not compare ourselves to other people. Let's compare ourselves to Christ. In God's connected community, pride is pricked and comparison is killed. Just as we finish up here, Paul says, each one should carry their own load. And you might say, Richard, what's the deal here? Are you not going back on yourself a wee bit? Is this passage not going back on itself a wee bit? A minute ago, we were bearing each other's burdens, and now we have to carry our own load. What's the deal here? Well, actually, Paul really intentionally uses two different words. The first one for burdened is kind of like a heavy weight, a big boulder that one person really couldn't carry on their own. But the second word that we read as load is the same as the word used for a backpack, kind of like the the school bag of its day uh, back in the first century. And the point really is that this community, this community of the church, it only goes so far. It is deep. It is rich. It's almost definitely much more than many of us have realized. In God's community, we're far more connected than the internet certainly can ever make us. And yet, there will come a point where we'll have to bear our own load as an individual. Eventually, God is going to judge this world. And when he does, we will be treated individually. And at that stage, what our mates do, what our parents do, the stuff that we attended, the Christian people that we rubbed shoulders with a bit, all of that stuff will not be important at all. We're climbing this mountain as we go through life. And for sure along the journey, we can share our burdens with our brothers and sisters, with each other. But when we get to the top, it's like every pack, every burden had a little name tag. And it goes back to the rightful owner. When we get to the top, there's no passing the burden at that stage. We can be helped by community along the way, for sure, and we're called to it. But each of us goes to the top of that mountain on our own. John Stott said this here. There's one burden that we cannot share, and that's our responsibility to God of the day of judgment. On that day, you cannot carry my pack, and I cannot carry yours. You have a responsibility to help your brothers and sisters with their burden of sin, but it's their burden ultimately. On the flip side, if you don't help them, then that sin is yours. The truth, though, is that if you don't trust Jesus, then your backpack, which you're carrying, whether you're aware of it or not, full of your own mess, full of your own sin, is going to condemn you into an eternity of misery. Far worse than an eternity of BB. The gospel says that if you've trusted Jesus, when you come to him in judgment with your backpack heavy with sin and mess, he takes it off you 
and he gives you his own and it's easy to carry it's light and yet there's no getting away from the fact that we're so sinful that following him isn't obvious or easy some of us possibly need to buck up our ideas i said to a guy a few weeks ago that jesus doesn't want your curiosity he doesn't want your interest he wants your heart isn't that true jesus doesn't want fans he wants followers he wants people who are committed to him he doesn't want your saturday night and maybe your sunday morning if you can get out of bed Jesus wants your life. He doesn't want you to be a wee bit Christian, a wee bit churchy. He wants you to live a radically different life in connected community, following him as the king. So let's take responsibility for all that we're called to in the kingdom. Let's step up to the responsibility with God's help keeping in step with the Spirit. Let's step up to the responsibility of being committed followers of Jesus. Each one should carry their own load because in God's connected community, we take responsibility for ourselves. So are you content, I wonder, with the superficial flimsy community that this world offers? Are you content with virtual community from behind a screen where we only show the best bits of ourselves? Are you content with that being the extent of your relationships? Or do you, like me, want something deeper? Do you know in yourself that you have a need for something deeper? Do you realize now that God wants to bless us with something better and deeper. The good news of Jesus is that in God's connected community, emptiness is filled. Brokenness is healed. In God's community, we bear our burdens and we bear others' burdens as well. In God's community, pride is pricked and comparison is killed. And we take responsibility for ourselves. Can I suggest just as we finish up that this has major application in three areas. So you can go away thinking about this. Firstly, for us as individual followers, how connected do we desire to be? How connected are we with our friends, with each other? After tonight, will you have real conversation? Will you share where you are in your faith with each other? As an individual, do you desire to be connected? Secondly, as church, are you, are you committed? Are you connected to a local church? Can I challenge you really clearly not to do what I did while I was here, which was to use this on a Saturday night as my church? Answer for yourself in your own heart, are you a committed member of a local church? Are you serving there? Do you give your time? Are you committed? If not, why not? 
If you love Jesus, you love the church. Are you connected into the church community that God calls you to? Not dipping here, there, and everywhere. Not going to the things that you enjoy. Are you committed? And do you serve? Are you connected in church community? And finally then, as we think about being not just followers, not just disciples of Jesus, but disciples who make disciples, people who want to reach the lost of this world, our lost friends, our lost family. Have we created a community that people can be connected into? Are we passionate? Do you pray? Do you try? Is it something that's on your radar as you go through life, that you try to connect people into church community? The reality is every other organization will fade away, but the church will last. Are you trying to connect people into the only community where there's hope, where there's life, where there's satisfaction for every need that we have? So in those three ways, are you connected? Firstly, as an individual. Secondly, with church. And thirdly, on mission, trying to connect others into God's kingdom. Big challenge to us. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that this is a picture of how good you are, of how glorious you are, um, that your plan for this earth doesn't just involve us as individuals, but us together in community. Father, will you inspire us by your spirit with a real passion for your church, with a deep desire to serve others, to love others, to help them bear their burdens? Will you bless us, Father, with strong relationships that help us to bear our own burdens? Father, will you work to transform our hearts and our minds that we would bear the fruit of your Spirit, that we would able, be able to function um, far more powerfully as the kind of people that you're calling us to be? Will you help us as CE? Will you help us as friends to have a vision and to be connected together? sharing around our experience of walking with you, sharing around your word, praying for each other, loving each other, and worshiping you. Father, will you work this out in our hearts? Help us to process and understand the challenge of your word to us tonight. And will you help us to live lives that in a radically different way bring glory to you in our broken world. And we pray all these things knowing that the only name that we can trust for any of this to become a reality is the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.